Good morning. Let's see everybody's present this morning. First Samuel, the 28th chapter, we're going to take a look at. I'll uh, just give you a little insight before we get started this morning. Uh, Danny asked me earlier how I was doing. <laughs> I said, well, in the last couple of days, I've been to the chiropractor a couple of times. Uh, I've also taken various pain pills. And I'm planning on preaching on 1 Samuel 28. But if I start talking about other stuff, <laughs> bear with me. <laughs> I'll get back to it sooner or later. <laughs> but uh, doing, doing better today. I uh, was telling my wife, I just, uh, I hope I don't cough. <laughs> you know how it is when your back hurts and you have to cough. It's like, don't do that. So anyway, that's, that's where it is this morning. 1 Samuel, the uh, 28th chapter. I've got verses 1 through 25 there. We're going to kind of take a look at uh, that whole kind of section this morning. And I'll go ahead and bring up this introduction slide. In 1 Samuel 28, the Israelites and the Philistines are assembling for war. Saul will want to seek answers, and eventually that will lead him to go see a medium, or sometimes we say the witch of Endor. And then 1 Samuel 28 will also not record the actual end of Saul's life at that particular moment, but rather he will be told that the end of his life is uh, within 24 hours. So he, he, is, he is right at the end. So there's three points we're going to take a look at. The, the story that's contained there in 1 Samuel 28. And then we'll talk some about Saul's disobedience and in his life. And then in 1 Samuel 28, essentially end up what you're seeing is Saul on his own because God has departed from him. So first of all, I wanted to touch on 1 Samuel, the 28th chapter once again, because we've been studying this on Wednesday evenings. We're just about through with 1 Samuel. And we've talked about Saul extensively, but I wanted to reflect upon his life some before we pass on to 2 Samuel and begin to focus more on David. Whenever you take a look at 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel is really a book of contrasts. I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. And even as you take a look at 1 Samuel chapter 28, and it talks about the end of Saul's life, there's a real contrast there, isn't there? Because we saw the beginning. Of Saul's life. And we saw when Saul was first called to be king and how humble he was and how the spirit came of, of the Lord came upon him and he served the Lord and he fought for God's people. But then we also watched <laughs> as Saul kind of went away from that and he started to serve self. And so you see this promising beginning. And then you see this sort of tragic end. But that's not the only contrast that is there in 1 Samuel. The main character, right? Samuel. <laughs> and we have to keep in mind as we study 1 Samuel, here's Samuel born of Hannah. And he is taking to the temple or he's taking to the tabernacle to serve the Lord. And when the God calls on him, how does he answer? Here's your servant. Speak. And that was pretty much the jest of Samuel's life, wasn't it? But Samuel is the last judge. 
And you remember when we studied the book of Judges? And so you have a contrast with Samuel and he's saying, when the Lord calls, speak, Lord, your servant hears. And yet he's the last judge. And in the period of the judges, what's the recurring theme that comes again and again and again in the book of Judges? Every man does what is right in his own eyes. And so there's a contrast. And we're getting ready to focus. We have been for a while on David, but we'll focus more now in 2 Samuel. And you see David, a man after God's own heart. And that's in direct contrast with Saul, a man who clearly has a divided heart. But beyond that, you even have to focus in on the individual characters and individual events in their lives. Quick example. David, being pursued by Saul and has an opportunity to kill Saul. And what does he say? Let the Lord judge between me and you. And in humble obedience to the Lord, the Lord anointed you as king. He put you in as king. And when he's ready to take you out, he'll take you out as king. Not me. Immediately following that, what do we read? David sends some men to make request of Nabal. Remember that? We have helped to protect your herds and your flocks. We've helped to protect your people. Could you share some of your bounty with us? And how does Nabal treat him? (laughs) Who's David? And there's lots of runaway slaves nowadays. And he just essentially insults David. And so how does David respond? Does he respond like he did with Saul? Oh, well, let the Lord judge between me and you. I'll just leave it in God's hands. No, David says, get your swords. We're going to go kill him, and we're going to go kill everybody that works for him. But graciously, who shows up? It's Abigail. And she keeps David from shedding blood. And so in the book of 1 Samuel, you see these contrasts between ages and times, between different characters, And you see contrast within own people's lives. And it's there for a reason. Because God wants us to look at that and think about those contrasts. So first of all, 1 Samuel, the 28th chapter, I'm not going to take time to read verses. I was going to read verse 1 through 7, but I won't since we just read verses 1 through 11. The Philistines have come out to war against the Israelites. And there's sort of a strange twist that is taking place there. And unless you know the background story, it really seems odd because David is with Achish. He's a leader of the Philistines. And you're wondering, why is David with Achish? And so you kind of have to know the background and kind of know the whole story in order to figure out why he's there with them. But one of the things that you want to keep in mind is you think about what's going on in this time frame. The year, 
I can't tell you exactly, but I can tell you pretty close. At the time that this takes place in 1 Samuel, the 28th chapter, the year is about 1011 B.C. And the reason why I know that is because fairly accurately, we know that David came to the throne in 1010. But 40 years earlier, 1050, Saul had come to the throne. And so we know fairly close when this is. This is within that last year when all this is taking place. And now David is with the Philistines. And the book of 1 Samuel is that transition period. Previously, judges. And now in 1 Samuel, the people ask for a king. And God has granted them that king. Some 400 years earlier, when they were in the wilderness, God had already told them, one of these days you're going to ask for a king. God knew that. And he warned them about that. But he also gave them instructions so that they would come to understand because God was supposed to be their king. How is it then that Israel can ask for a king, God being their king, they can ask for an earthly king and still God be the one that rule over them? Well, it's explained for us in Deuteronomy, the 17th chapter. The way that that all could happen is this. The king you ask for, he will serve the God of heaven. And as he serves the God of heaven, then he will rule over my people. That's the way that was supposed to work. And the word that we would give to that, it would be a theocratic type of king, not an autocratic type of king. Because an autocratic type of king would be like the nations round about where they would just, I'll do as I want. I'm king. <laughs> and God's saying, no. If you're going to have a king, he should be a theocratic king. He will serve me. <laughs> and in serving me, he will rule over my people. Saul at first seemed to understand that, but then later <laughs> he wanted to do things his way. And so we have to keep that in mind. God knew that was coming. And he warned him about that. As you take a look at some of the snapshots in the images of Saul's life from the book of 1 Samuel. As it starts out, Saul is revealed as one that is, one is, that is head and shoulders above all of his countrymen. And he's a good looking guy. And he's a warrior. And he's brave and he's courageous. And he's just the kind of guy that people have been looking for. But it's not long until you see this same brave, courageous guy become fearful. And in these circumstances, it begins to reveal his heart. There's a couple in particular. We won't look at all of them. We don't have much time. 
Remember 1 Samuel, the 13th chapter? Once again, it's the Philistines. And Saul is supposed to go and wait. And Samuel will come within seven days and will offer sacrifice and they will inquire of the Lord. But the Philistines are assembling. Saul is getting nervous. The people are getting nervous. And there are some that start to depart from him until finally Saul says, get the sacrifice, bring it, I'll offer it myself. (laughs) And when Samuel shows up, he says, what have you done? As on par for Saul, he's always got a good answer. Well, the Philistines were here. You weren't. The folks were getting nervous. And so I decided to do it myself. And Samuel said, you have done foolishly. You're king. You're not priest. You disobeyed the Lord. And so in 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter, Saul's given another chance. And Samuel goes to him and gives him the word of the Lord. He said, I want you to go and to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Wipe them out. And so Saul goes. But once again, he does most of what God says. But he doesn't do all of what God says. Remember that? And as he's returning, and Samuel comes out to meet him, Saul is proud of himself. I have carried out the commands of the Lord. And Samuel says, what? If you have, then what is that bleating in my ears? I hear the sound of animals. And then he begins to explain. Oh, we brought back the king. And then we brought back some of the best animals. But that's okay because we're going to sacrifice them. We're going to offer them to God. And what does Samuel tell him? To obey is better than sacrifice. But Saul thought, as long as I do most of what God says, and my intentions are good, then God ought to be happy with me. And he always had an excuse. And he always had a reason for what he did. You know anybody like that? I think I watched that guy shave in the morning time. Well, I did most of. And isn't God happy with that? Samuel says, obey is better than sacrifice. Do you ever run into occasions when you're fearful? Or you're in doubt how things are going to work out in your life? And you think, well, God just needs a little help here. And maybe I just need to take things into my own hands 
And that's what Saul had a tendency to do. But you have to notice too in regards to Saul that each and every time he was seeking God's favor. He was seeking God's blessings on his life. He wasn't always seeking faithfulness but he was seeking favor. And I think that's where we can get into trouble sometimes. Maybe I'm not totally faithful, but I want all of God's favor. I think there's another reason why 1 Samuel reveals this this to us about Saul. And I think God wanted Israel to see this also. I think in essence what God was saying, look at my king. He looks a lot like my people. Because that's kind of the way the nation was. Well, we're trying to do most. We may not do it all. But we still want God's blessing. And so that's kind of the story of Saul's life. So in 1 Samuel 15, we have a specific example with God through Samuel telling Saul, I want you to go and to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Sometimes people read that instead of passing judgment on the Amalekites, they want to pass judgment on God. Here's the God of all the universe. He has a king. He has a nation. He has a standing army. And God is holy, and he says to his people, you shall be holy. You're not going to be like the nations around you. I am holy, therefore you shall be holy. And one of the characteristics of God is is that He is just. And He had tolerated the Amalekites for a long time. These were a cruel and evil people. Until finally God said, Enough! The judge of all the world said, enough. You've been given grace. You've been given opportunity. And now it's time for justice. And he sends Saul to bring justice. And what did Saul do? No. (laughs) I'm going to spare the king. Spare some of the best livestock and the best animals and bring back some of the bounty. And I'll do most, but not all of what God says. And God wanted the world to see and the other nations to see 
He was bringing justice. And so once again, when he returns, Samuel responds and says, to obey is better than sacrifice. You know what that says? Do you think you can replace obedience with being religious? Does that ever happen? Do we ever practice that sometimes? Maybe Monday through Saturday. Maybe not so much doing all that God says. But I'll be in church on Sunday. That'll make up for it. And Samuel says to obey is better than sacrifice. I am going to read to you from 1 Samuel 15 chapter about verse 34 and verse 35 because it helps us to get the timeline. 1 Samuel 15 at verse 34. Then Samuel went to Ramah and Saul went up to his house at Gabeah of Saul. See, now this is after Saul has returned. This is after Samuel has rebuked him for not carrying out the commands of the Lord. And so then it says, Samuel went to Ramah and Saul went up to his house at Gabeah. Verse 35. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. From that time forward, Samuel went no more to see Saul. So when you come to 1 Samuel, the 28th chapter, that's about 15 years. Saul has continued on as king. But God's not answering him anymore. And Samuel's not going to see him anymore. So in 1 Samuel, the 28th chapter, essentially then what you have is Samuel, on the, or Saul, I'm sorry, you have Saul on his own. And it's understood from 1 Samuel 15 that when Samuel departs, God has finished. God's finished with Saul. And he's been told previously that the kingship will not continue through his lineage. And immediately following in the next chapter, in 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter, it's recorded, that's where it's recorded, that Samuel then goes looking for the next king over Israel. And he will go to the house of Jesse. And he will find a young boy by the name of David. And at first, most people will look at him and think, that's not the king. (laughs) But God will say, I don't look on the outward appearance. I look upon the heart. And David's got that kind of heart. That's not to say that David's perfect. 
but rather he has that heart that seeks after God. And when he sins, he seeks forgiveness. He has a desire to glorify God. And so we'll read about David and he'll defeat a giant and he will lead Israel into battle and he will kill his ten thousands. And Saul will hear about all that and that popularity that David have will enrage Saul to the point where he's ready to kill David on more than one occasion. And as you read through the book of 1 Samuel, as we talked about it before, this is not something that just happens one weekend or a month. It's probably seven to ten years that Saul chases David around all over Israel until finally it gets to the point where David realizes he's never going to stop chasing me. He's never going to give up until he kills me. And so where does David go? He goes to Achish. He goes to the Philistines. That's how we find him in 1 Samuel, the 28th chapter. That's why David is there. Because he knows if he goes to live among the Philistines that finally Saul will quit chasing him. And that's essentially what you have. But now, at the beginning of chapter 28, The Philistines have assembled for war. David has been living with them. And Achish goes to him. He knows the kind of warrior that David is and the kind of fighters that his men are. And essentially he says, you will go with me. And David goes, oh yeah, I'll go. (laughs) We find out later he didn't really want to go, but At that point in time, he's like, oh yeah, I'll go. And so Achish is thinking, we're going out against the Israelites. We've got David on our side. And the location that it talks about where they're going to war, they're in the northern part of Israel. The Philistines were from down south. This shows how confident they are in pressing against Israel. And Saul sees that. And he recognizes the situation. And he's scared to death. And so he tries everything he can to get an answer from God. And what shall I do? I'm getting no answer, neither through dreams or prophets. Or throw the Uman and Thurman. And finally, he is so desperate. He says, find me a medium. And his men say, oh, there's one at Endor. (laughs) And we talked about this on Wednesday evening, how that God had not tolerated, not allowed for them to have these spiritists and these mediums within the land. And Saul, it says, had kicked them out. Kind of. Not totally. And so he says, find me a medium. And right away the men go, yeah, there's what it is. They knew it too. We kicked him out, except we didn't. We just don't talk about him. But if you need one, we know where you can find a good one. 
So once again, it's sort of that reoccurring theme in Saul's life. He does part of what God says, but he doesn't do all of what God says. And then in 1 Samuel, the 28th chapter, about verses 11 through 15. Saul then goes with two of his men to see this woman at Endor, the switch of Endor as we refer to her. It says that he wants her to bring up somebody, perform this sort of seance, so to speak. And she says, no. (laughs) Because Saul has said, I'll die for doing that. Saul had disguised himself so that she didn't recognize at first that it was him. And so here's Saul, and what does he say to her? I swear by the Lord... That nothing bad will happen to you. Anybody see a problem with that? <laughs> the Lord had told me to get rid of all the spiritists and the mediums and the witches and so forth. And now I swear by the Lord that nothing's going to happen to you. So finally, she agrees. But what you see recorded there that when she asked, who shall I call up? And he says, Samuel. And however she does that, Samuel appears. And what she do? She screams. Most of the time, witches scare people. But this time, the witch is scared. But Saul recognizes something has happened. And he said, what do you see? She said, I see an old man. And he's wearing a mantle. And right away, Saul, that's Samuel. And what does Samuel say? Why'd you bother me? (laughs) And so Saul begins to tell him why he bothered him. I've been trying to get an answer from God. The Philistines are arrayed against us. But he won't answer me. God has departed from me. 1 Samuel, the 28th chapter now, verse 16 through 19. Then Samuel said, so why do you ask me? Seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy. And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord nor execute his fierce wrath upon the Amalekites. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of of the Philistines. Saul wanted to talk to Samuel. Well, he got to talk to him. But that sure wasn't the answer he was hoping for, was it? And Samuel says, tomorrow, you'll be with me. You, your sons, and Israel, they'll be defeated. By the Philistines. 
verse 15. Now Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing him up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore. What's that sound like? Sound like the king of Israel? Or a kindergarten kid? <laughs> Once again, he's got a good reason, doesn't he? Why did you bother me? Well, I, I can't get the Lord to answer me. So I've got a good excuse. If he would, if it's the Lord's fault, if the Lord had answered, I wouldn't be up here bothering you, Samuel. <laughs> so Samuel says, okay. <laughs> you want an answer? I'll give you one. Always got an excuse. Why he can't do what the Lord says. But I still want his favor. I still want his blessings. On what I'm doing. He knows what I need. Know anybody like that? Saul, you weren't authorized to offer sacrifice in place of the priest. And mostly you didn't until you did. And you were told to destroy the Amalekites. And mostly you did until you didn't. And you were told to get rid of all the spiritists and the mediums and the witches and so forth. And mostly you did until you didn't. And you want God in your life till you don't. And then when things go wrong, mostly you do until you don't. You ever seen that? I don't need God in my finances until I'm in financial trouble. I don't need God in my marriage unless my marriage is in trouble. I don't need God in my sexuality in my life until I need someone. I don't need God in my work, my career, my relationships, or my family. Until I do. And then if I receive his blessings. Then I don't. You ever seen that? Have you ever been there? Let me tell you about this book. I'm not crazy about the author. So I'm not going to give you his name. (laughs) He's a little dark. But there's this book entitled The Road. And what happens in this story is this is post-apocalyptic world. Right? Something devastating has happened within the world. It never states exactly, but you get this idea that maybe it's like atomic war or something. 
And so what you have is these two main characters. There's a father and then there's a young boy. And they're traveling together and they're trying to get to someplace safe. And along the way, they encounter various dangers. And they encounter some safe places. And they encounter some dangerous bad people. And they encounter some good people. But it seems like all along the way, there's this sort of moral code that they live by. And in fact, one day the little boy says to the dad, we're going to be okay, right? We're going to be safe, right? His dad said, yeah, we'll be okay. And the little boy's somewhat confused because there's some good people, but there's some bad people. And he says to his father, he said, but we're the good guys, right? And his dad says, yeah, we're the good guys. And not long after that, as they're traveling along and they're pushing this shopping cart, which they've got a few provisions that they've collected along the way, and as they go along, they sort of scavenge for various items that they can use and so forth, and they park their shopping cart and they leave it for a little bit and they go off to scavenge and they come back and somebody t- took the cart. <laughs> and the father goes after him. And when he catches him, he's rough on this guy. And he strips him and he leaves him. And you get the idea. Based upon exposure, this guy's probably going to die. But then the little boy is frustrated with his dad because of what he's now done. And so in 1 Samuel, you see these contrasts. You see Samuel and you see the book of Judges. And you see Saul, and you see David. And then you see Saul sometimes in his life. And you would ask him, are you one of the good guys? And Saul would go, yeah, I'm one of the good guys. (laughs) Until I'm one of the bad guys. David, (laughs) you're one of the good guys, right? Yes. Until... I'm one of the bad guys. Oh, and then there's the switch. That's one of the bad guys, right? Yeah. Until Samuel tells Saul what's going to happen. And how does Saul respond? He falls out, doesn't he? (laughs) He's devastated by this. What's the witch do? She goes to him. She comforts him. She makes a meal for him. She strengthens him. Wait a minute. I thought she was one of the bad guys. And now she's one of the good guys. 
You know what God's saying to Israel? (laughs) I want you to look at your king because I want you to look at yourself. You know why God preserved first thing? For Samuel, for us? I want you to look at them so that you can look at yourself. So somebody asks you, you one of the good guys? <laughs> and I'd say, oh yeah, I'm one of the good guys. Until I'm not. You see, that was David. And David would say, search me. And know me. And cleanse me from all of my wicked ways. That was the difference between David and Saul. We have potential for great good. We all also have potential for evil. But we have to ask ourselves, when am I being the good guy? When am I being the bad guy? And it's pretty obvious when you look at 1 Samuel, when they were serving when they were serving God, they were the good guy. <laughs> when they decided to go on their own, it's when they become the bad guy. So in First Samuel, <clears throat> the 28th chapter, you see Saul, a man who started off with such promise and such potential. But he had trouble discerning when he was the good guy and when he was the bad guy. (laughs) And he always had an excuse why he couldn't do all of what God, all of what God said. So it's a book of contrasts. And God wants us to see those contrasts so that we'll see ourselves. Remember what Jesus said when it talked about a good tree and a bad tree? You shall know them by their fruit. Right? You shall know them by their fruit. So that's the message from 1 Samuel, the 28th chapter. I believe, I believe that's the message from the book of 1 Samuel. That God wants us to see those contrasts so that we'll be able to see ourselves. I want to extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here. Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He offers us that opportunity for us to be forgiven of our sins. If we can help you do that this morning, we'd love to do that. If you're a child of God and not been living as you should, and you need to come back to him and make your life right, let us know while together we stand and while we sing.